So maybe we can start with, uh, we can do the mantra one more time. So, this paper on the back. Let's start with the mantra. <clears throat> Samaditi Samma Sankapa Samma Vacha Samma Kamanta Samma Achiva Samma Vayama Samma Sati Samma Samadhi Samatiti Samma Sankapa Samma Vacha Samma Kamanta Samma Achiva Samma Vayama Samma Sati Samma Samati Samatiti Samma Sankapa Samma Vacha Samma Kamanta Samma Achiva Samma Vayama Samma Sati Samma Samati So if you if you turn the paper around you can you can see you know the there are these eight le, uh, limbs of the noble eightfold path and then there is also it's it's uh, consists of three sections the wisdom section the ethic sections and the concentration or or stability of mind section and uh, I'm now going to speak about the ethic section which is right speech, right action, and right livelihood, samavacha, samakamanta, and sama achiva. And this morning, Ayananabodhi spoke about the first two, about samaditi and samasankapa. And, you know, samaditi and samasankapa are the, the foundation, you know, for the next three steps, because once we, you know, have understood enough so that we know how important it is, you know, to protect ourselves from unwholesome action, then we have a certain motivation and we, we, really, we are really interested actually in keeping sila, you know, in keeping ethics. Because we understand it's not only, you know, in order to abstain from unwholesome action, but also it's a mind training as well, you know. 
So on a conventional level, it's it's you know giving us clear guidance about which action is wholesome and which action is unwholesome, and it can be you know increasingly refined the the understanding of the precepts. But ultimately, it's it's a mind training, you know, which helps us to kind of recondition the mind in a way so that it is more and more in alignment, you know, with the way things are and opening more and more to the to reality. So the the sila section has, has these two functions, you know, conventional function in regulating and living together and the ultimate function in, in retraining the mind and bending it towards Nibbana. And there's those three sections. Right speech is the first one I'd to speak about a little bit. And, you know, strictly speaking, the precept of right speech, if you translate it literally, it means to abstain from lying only, you know. But then if it's seen within the context of the Noble Eightfold Path as a mind training, then that uh, section of right speech is broken down into four different parts. And, you know, the first one, the most basic one is, is, is about truthfulness, you know, that we are saying only that which we understand to be true. And that covers, you know, the not lying of the... Uh, of the precept of right speech. And, you know, and it kind of sounds straightforward, not lying, but there's actually, you know, quite some gray areas, you know, that sometimes certain exaggerations or omissions and, and silence, you know, can also fall in that category if we really look at it in a more deep way. And especially, you know, we have tendency, well, some people more maybe than others have a tendency to exaggerate everything, you know, out of, even like in chest or, you know, out of fun, make it a bit more interesting. But, you know, to really watch the tendency and try to do a bit less of that, you know, because understanding that it's it's helps us, you know, to train the mind and to be more in alignment with what's really happening. And seeing, you know, the motivation underneath, you know, if we are not saying something or if we are exaggerating, you know, what is behind it, what are we protecting here, you know, or what are we kind of trying to make more of and, and just see that. And I think by seeing it, you know, it's that really can help us to kind of do less of it because if you can really clearly see, you know, how it's, you know, very often just in, in, in trying to kind of prop up the ego, it just tastes a little bit like we don't want to do this, you know, really. So it's, it's not that difficult, actually, to, through really seeing clearly, to, to get a little bit kind of fed up with certain habits which we are having, you know, and then it's actually not so difficult to, to step out of those. But for, we have to be, you know, have enough courage to really look it in the eye, so to say, you know, and, and then feel the kind of cringing, you know, oh my God, now I did it again. And then just seeing, you know, it's really not, not kind of wholesome. 
And also, you know, in terms of truthfulness, <clears throat> you know, the main problem, you know, if we have been in a relationship, you know, if we, with, with friends or, you know, people we, we really value, if, if, if it has happened once, you know, that a lie has been found out, you know, it's, it's often very difficult to rebuild the trust. To, so and that's really the main issue. It's maybe not so much, you know, okay, we have made a lie, but then to rebuild the trust can be a very lengthy thing or maybe not possible at all. So that's something to, to consider. And there's a Nietzsche, is a German philosopher, he said, you know, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you anymore. So that's something to consider. And, uh, you know, the next aspect of uh, wise speech or attuned speech or right speech would be you know, not um, falling into slander and gossip or, or tail-bearing, you know, which is mainly, you know, the causing disharmony amongst others. And, and, you know, if we have a tendency to do this, to really look into deeply, you know, why are we, are we doing that? What are we, what's the motivation behind it? Because sometimes, you know, we, if you really pay attention to you find out, you know, that a lot of the speaking, what we are doing is speaking about others. And, you know, if you would make a, a decision to, you know, I'm not going to speak about others for three days, you're going to find out you almost be silent the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and to just, you know... To just check that out once. I mean, that's quite embarrassing, actually, to find out how much we speak about others and also, like, in social situations, you know, how much that is used to kind of have something to speak about, you know. To just make that more conscious can be, you know, can be a, a reality check, really. And, uh, you know, sometimes... You know, speaking about others can be motivated of, you know, feeling not good about oneself and just having this kind of weird idea, you know, that if you let it out through saying something, you'd be ridding yourself of some pain, you know, but only for a very short moment, you know. And then we don't feel good about ourselves if we do that, you know, and using others for that. And it's just, it's so pervasive, it's just very interesting to investigate that, you know. So, tail-bearing. And just seeing, you know, our, our speech, you know, what's the motivation behind it? Do we want to bring people together or do we want to divide people? And why? And And then just really you know, having the courage to really take in that information because it's going to change us, you know. But first we need to know that it's happening. And then the third aspect of right speech is about, you know, abstaining from harsh and abusive speech or, you know, the emotional tone of the speech, which can, you know, often communicate much more than the meaning of the word, 
words we are speaking, the tone is very carries a lot of power. And to just pay attention to that too. It tends, you know, tends to can kind of close down communication. And and just knowing, you know, how impactful that can be. So maybe sometimes it's better to just like listen or maybe not say anything and wait, you know, till we are in the right space to say something. You know, this mindful listening. You know, if we feel like we are very caught up in some emotion, it's much better to just be there and listen. And at the same time, you know, listen inside ourselves to how we are right now and listen also, of course, to to the person we are in a conversation with. But always, you know, have a good amount of the attention also towards our own state of heart or state of mind. And just, you know, let the, if we are not ready to say something, just like being with that and let the other person speak. And, uh, you know, just through the mindful listening, not, so, not getting caught up so much in, you know, what the other person is basically evoking in us, you know. And a very good example would be, you know, like how parents are, you know, speaking with their children and children throw a tantrum. You know, it's totally kind of getting really very, uh, you know, maybe angry and or very fearful. And in a situation like that, it's often relatively easy, you know, for a parent or a grandparent, you know, to just stay in their own space and not get caught up in it. So this kind of this is a good image, you know, to remember if we are very triggered by the tone of voice, how somebody speaks to us, to just remember, you know, we can actually step back and, and just watch our own emotional, you know, trigger at the same time as, as we are listening to somebody else speaking. And then if we feel like it's not, we are not able to actually respond in a way we would like to, to just not say anything. And and wait a little bit. Or a long bit, who knows, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the last aspect is it's called like in the in the classic formula- formulation is called refraining from useless and vain talk. You know, it's like when you go to a party where you meet lots of people you've never met before and then we do this very superficial kind of chit-chat. You know, and sometimes there is no escape, maybe, to do it, but to just do it less. You know, to cut back more and more and not encourage it. That might be the only, you know, as good as it gets, but being conscious of it, you know, if we sometimes... I don't think, you know, people who come here to Spirit Rock necessarily spend a lot of time in social occasions where they have to do this kind of speaking, but if you have to do it sometimes, to try to do it less. Because if we do that a lot, it can really just, um, you know, result in a kind of loss of respect, you know, for 
for other people and also for our for our own kind of capacity to connect. If we are not on that level, it's it's kind of a, yeah. We can we can lose like a certain depth and a certain kind of capacity to be affected, you know, because in order to stay on that level, you have to tune out a lot. So it's something to also to watch it, you know. And then the next one after right speech is, oh yeah, and I wanted to actually share that with you. This is also from the Ankutari Nikaya of the Fives about what is right speech according to the, the Buddhist... Um, framework. Because possessing five factors, speech is well spoken and not badly spoken. It is blameless and beyond reproach by the wise. What five? It is spoken at the proper time. That's the first point. What is said is true. It is spoken gently. What is said is beneficial. And it is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. So proper time, because it's really very dependent on the proper time, you know, if we actually can communicate things which, are, which might be very delicate, but if we choose the right time, then very often, you know, things can be said at one time, but not at another time. So that's a really important factor. I think that's why it's at the first, mentioned first. True comes afterwards. It is true. It is spoken gently. What is said is beneficial. And is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. So those five points. It's, it's a pretty tall order, I think. And, you know, that's is, is, is this guidelines. You know, I'm not uh, even myself. You know, I'm training for so long and... You know, I'm in a monastic community. I'm not always meeting all of those five points, I have to admit. But I think it's a, it's a very good checklist to come back to it again and again, you know. And what I do know for sure, it's very efficient, you know, if we can keep all of those five points. But, you know, sometimes it feels like there's never the proper time, you know, in certain situations. So... So we just do the best we can. And, you know, and we, we, we're speaking a lot in, in life. You know, in our waking hours, speaking is a lot happening. So this uh, training about wise speech or right speech is, is, is really a very big area. And I think most people say, you know, that's the most difficult one, you know, to keep of the precepts, the precept about right speech. Especially, you know, if it's not only about saying what is true, but to also keep the other aspects I was just mentioning, you know, and I, I can just go through it one more time, which is, uh, you know, to abstain from tail-bearing, to refrain from harsh and abusive speech, and to abstain from vain talk. If we, all of that, if we think about all of those aspects, then it's, it's quite all permeating, you know. It's a lot to keep in check. 
But if we then also clear, you know, that this is a mind training, actually. It's just not a training in ethics only, but it's much more than that. And it really supports us, you know, in reconditioning our minds. Then it takes on a different power, you know, because it's about, you know, bending the, more, the mind towards reality. And it's just, like, very important support for the meditation practice, you know. And then the next one is right action or sama kamanta, which covers the first three precepts, the first three of the five, which is not taking life, not harming, not taking what is not giving, given, not stealing, and refraining from sexual misconduct. And, you know, not harming, not taking life is the, the opposite of that is, is practicing loving kindness. You know, that's, that's a, you know, a practice which we can, you know, increasingly refine and go deeper and deeper, you know. And then, for example, you know, what's done here at Spirit Rock, you know, people are encouraged if you find a spider or an insect in the hole, you just take one of those interesting devices they have and, and carry it outside, you know. And this is like a practice we all can do. And, you know, over time, it just becomes second nature. And, for example, you know, not eating meat is, is a very good training as well. Not only, you know, is it not harming other sentient beings, but it's also... As we all have heard, you know, the animal, um, the production of meat, you know, has a very big contribution to climate change. The same or more than, than uh, you know, all kinds of transport, cars, planes and everything together. So it's a very huge impact, you know, onto the planet on many levels. And also, you know, the, the, the torture of what these animals are going through and how they are held, you know, how they are in those huge uh, farms, which is horrendous, suffering what they are going through. Do remember that. And then, you know, it's, it's something we can do immediately. And, on, you know, and we have an impact on many levels. So that's something to really take to heart, I think. And, you know, just uh, reflecting on comfort, you know, we, the levels of comfort which many people here, you know, in the West are used to is just, you know, not shared by many people around the planet. And, and just reflecting on that, you know. And seeing, you know, we are sharing this planet with so many beings and, and somehow we, are, we have a very human-centric conditioning, you know, and, and we really, it, it, we need to make an effort to open up the mind and to see that, you know, we are stuck at a certain level of evolution in, in terms of, you know, inclusion, so, and we have to keep going, you know, we have to keep going. 
and uh, reflecting on comfort. You know, for example, not allowing insects to be here. They have to go somewhere else. So maybe on one level, yes. On another level, why? You know? So it's just like questioning our assumptions a bit more. And uh, you know, there's a lot of information available about the impact of animal suffering, you know, and and the production of meat on on this on, on climate change and we just you know need to be interested enough to, to take that in, you know. And to see the harm. And uh, the opposite, you know, of harming is, is loving kindness. Which is, you know, nothing more or less than, you know, just opening the mind. Like with the divine abidings, Ayananda Bodhi was giving a guided meditation before. It's like, you know, to make it, to open the mind and include more. And these different meditation, you know, instructions or methods, they help us actually, you know, to make the mind more malleable and to help the mind, you know, to, to be big enough so more can be held and included. And then the next one would be not taking what is not given or stealing, you know, is one word for that. And, you know, in a place like this, there's a lot of trust. And it's, you know, and I'm sure, you know, maybe some of us, we are not even aware, you know, how, you know, special that actually is. You know, to be with people, to be in an environment where there is, you can just leave things and you don't need to worry about it. So that's, it's a wonderful way, you know, of being together. And it's very supportive of of our practice, you know, keeping the heart open, keeping the mind open. And it creates safety. And, you know, the opposite of taking what is not given is contentment. And, uh, you know, and contentment is is a quality, you know, to reflect on. You know, what is enough? Because it is not, you know, not something which the culture is is encouraging. The culture is encouraging, you know, to, that we need more, and it's under the delusion of of capitalism that this is a good way, you know, of of taking care of people, but we know that it isn't very good. It, I think it, on the paper it might have been a good idea once, but now we have found out it's not really kind of doing the job it has been promising it would do. But it has kind of brought the planet, you know, to the edge of, of uh, what it can can actually tolerate. So Contentment is a very powerful principle to reflect on.
and it's, it's the greatest wealth, according to the Buddha. And to see, you know, see also like overconsumption in a context of taking, you know, what is not given freely. So do I really need this, you know, or can I just maybe get a, a second hand item, you know, can I go to a goodwill and, and get something there? Do I always have to have the newest of everything, you know? I don't think so. And to see, you know, see that, to, to kind of train oneself in that flexibility, that's a real resilience, you know, which is actually a power to have, you know. If you don't have to have, be so dependent on so many things, you know. I mean, there are things we do need. And even, you know, in, in our training, it's, we speak about that, what's called the four requisites, food, shelter, clothing, and medicine. Everybody needs that, you know. And uh, one of our board members was once bringing us like a cup from um, from a, I don't know where that was from a, I think from the uh, how is this prison called on this island here in the bay Alcatraz and they also have the prisoners had the four requisites just the same what we have actually yeah so you know human beings need those things so you need you know but. It doesn't have to be always the latest um, model of everything. These models are very old, you know. <laughs> and it works also. So, to just, you know, reflect on contentment is the greatest wealth. Because, you know, with contentment, in one go, all wishes are fulfilled, you know. And that's just like a very interesting way of thinking. You know, it really boggles the mind because that's the culture bombards us with a completely different message, you know. And, you know, different people have different needs, you know, because different body types, different conditioning, different age, of course, you know, it's all, it's, it's all flexible. And, and, but to take responsibility and to just challenge, you know, ourselves a little bit more and, and double checking, is that really necessary or maybe not, you know? And, and to reflect on the fact that this is an empowerment, you know, to have a choice. To be able to have, you know, be with less and not be upset about that. That's actually really great. And then the last one of the right action one is abstaining from sexual misconduct. You know, and as you all know, sexual energy is kind of, can be very powerful and very deluding, you know. And, and it sometimes can border on the comical, but it can also get really intense, you know, like that people kill, you know, under, under the, influence of it so it's, it's, it's very powerful force and it has to be powerful you know because it's it's in the service of propagating the, the the species you know and that's what nature is all interested in you know mainly is you know wanting to for that to happen and and that's has its good and it's you know maybe not so good sides, like everything in the universe, you know, if, if it's done in moderation, it is 
wholesome and if it goes out of control, it's unwholesome. And to just, you know, not take the sexual energy which is moving us, you know, too personal, because just knowing this is a force of nature and, you know, and, and not being afraid of it and opening to it and allowing it, you know, to inform you and, and then, you know, make an informed choice, you know, what you want to do with it. And, you know, that's easier said than done. And, you know, after, now I'm 60 years old, I can say those things. When I was younger, it was much more confusing than it is now. So, but just, you know, knowing the, because there is a certain danger in it, because the deluding power is so great, as I know from my own experience. But I'm not saying it's, this is, it's bad or anything. I'm just saying, you know, don't underestimate that force because it's, it's very powerful. And it's not the same, of course, you know, for, for everybody. For different people, it can be different. But what's really important is, you know, to keep an open mind about it and, and to not, not underestimate it, but not in the sense of it being a bad thing, but just it's a really powerful, you know, like a, you know, like a powerful animal or a powerful force, you know, which needs to, needs, we need some, you know, to really respect it for what it, it can do. And, uh, at the same time, you know, it is, is also like a, a source of creativity and, and creation, you know, and, and I think it, you know, it can be channeled into different directions, you know, we can make, you know, it can become babies but it can also become art it can also become other it can also be channeled into other expressions and you know we need to have curiosity about it and and there's you know there have been so many books been written about it and paintings made and music written and it's all over the you know what humanity has been producing it's it's permeating everything so and to take an interest and uh, you know not fall into some conditioning about good and bad but rather, you know, having respect for it and, and uh, having enough courage to enter that arena with an open heart and an open mind. And then the last one is about right livelihood, Sama Achiva. You know, and in this day and age to find a purely right livelihood is, is not so easy, I think, you know. And in, in, you know, in, the, in the scriptures, what's 
considered wrong livelihood is business in, in weapons, business in human beings, business in meat, business in intoxicants, and business in poisons. These are the five types of business that a lay follower should not engage in. So it's that's pretty kind of clear, you know. And but nowadays, you know, there are things are so interconnected. So you know, we might go and buy a T-shirt, and it turns out that it's actually connected with business in human beings, you know, because it's people, are, you know, working under conditions which are kind of what we would consider slavery. So it's just we have to be a bit more, you know, kind of interested in checking things out, you know. And, for example, you know, working at a, at a place like Spirit Rock, you know, being a, working in the office here or being a retreat manager, that would be an ideal in terms of right livelihood, you know. But it might not be so easy to find work like this. So, you know, we have to really, uh, you know, just take in where we are right now and, and reflect on, on what's happening, you know, what is our livelihood involved with. And then maybe, you know, if, if we find it's not really right livelihood, then, you know, considering to make a change and, you know, not kind of beating ourselves up for it either because it's not easy in this day and age to really find right livelihood, maybe. So, just... Uh, you know, be honest with, with ourselves and then, you know, maybe implement change step by step. But if we don't start, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. So it's really important to take stock of our own living situation and then see, you know, what can be done about it. So, you know, the ethic section of the Noble Eightfold Path, right speech right action and right livelihood. Those three, you know, are about embodying, you know, our understanding in, in daily life, you know, some everyday right speech. There's so many uh, opportunities for that, you know. And to really see very clearly this is not only about, you know, not breaking a precept, but it's it's about training the mind, you know. It's a foundation for the meditation practice, you can't really separate your meditation practice from your life. That's impossible, you know. It all belongs together. Whatever you have been doing, you know, when you sit down in the meditation, that's what will come up, you know. So it belongs together. And this is, you know, where the Noble Eightfold Pass, it's, it's a complete training and consisting of those three sections. And the Wisdom section which is right understanding and right thought. And then the, the ethics section, which I've just been speaking about. And then, you know, if those two work together, and then the next thing, the next section is the stability of mind section, right effort, right mindfulness, and right uh, stability of mind. You know, and then if the mind has a certain stability and mindfulness is there, and there's some amount of effort there, then right understanding and right thought 
will come forth, you know, and then that again refines, you know, the sila or ethic sections again some more, you know, then there is more stability of mind again, which then leads to more understanding, you know, and so on and so forth. This is like a, a spiral, you know, which goes deeper and deeper into reality and, you know, reinforcing each other and, you know, bending the mind more and more towards, you know, insight and towards, you know, reality. And all of those, they all work together. And we have to speak about them, you know, in a linear way because this is the only way how we can speak. But it is, you know, they constantly all work together and inform each other. And and the sila section is, you know, especially applicable to once we get up from the cushion, you know, between getting up from the cushion and sitting down on the cushion, you know, there is that, that huge space, you know, which we call our lives. And, and that's where we can demonstrate, you know, our right understanding and right thought. How far has we, have we come with that, you know? And then it's a training, you know, it's not about beating ourselves up, but it's about just like any skill, you know, an in, playing an instrument, driving a car, whatever, skill, playing any sports, you know, it's a skills which we had to develop by, by repeating, you know, certain training and by coming back to it again and again, making mistakes and starting again. That's how it works. You know, if we don't put in the time, there won't be any results. And the good news, you know, at least from I consider it good news, is, you know, when when the body dies, you know, and 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 the mainstream, you know, will look for an, if if it's not liberated, will look for a next existence. You know, that the quality of the mainstream will, you know, will be preserved. So that, you know, how how those, uh, how this Noble Eightfold Path is applied to train the mind, that will not be lost, you know. This is the good news. Everything else we cannot take with us, you know. But the quality of the mind, we can. So... You know, if we kind of reflect in that way, that might also, you know, be a motivation to really take this training to heart. So, what is the plan now? Walking meditation, yes. I've been speaking a little bit too long. So we have only 20 minutes now for walking meditation. And we'll ring the bell again at five past four. Thank you. So it's just about 17 minutes or so. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.